0: Good morning, it's good to see you this morning, it's good to be able to spend this time of worship with you, to be able to be together, to be able to focus our attention on God. It is a beautiful day outside and a beautiful day in here. We've got a lot of visitors with us, I want to welcome you to let you know we're excited to have you here with us, worshiping God here together. We've just read from Genesis chapter 4, we're not going to spend a lot of time there, but my Bible is actually open to Ephesians chapter 4, I'm going to ask you to be finding that passage, we're going to be there here in just a moment. That passage that Kyle just read for us from Genesis chapter 4 has always been an intriguing story to me. So early on, ugliness in the world, so quickly it seemed, murder, even brother to brother. But there is a one particular passage that's there in Genesis chapter 4. It's the one specifically in verse 7 that has really drawn my attention. It's a passage we've talked a lot about and probably one that you're familiar with, but there are really some interesting things and really some interesting principles that I believe God is setting in place and setting them in place on purpose very early on in his word. Now listen, you turn to Genesis chapter 4, we are at the very outset of God's book. I mean, four, literal, four chapters in. And there have, up to this point, been so many godly principles put there in place. But there is again another one said in Genesis chapter 4 and verse 7 that I believe will continue to carry itself throughout Scripture and one for us today that continues to be something that we have to have in our mind encased in concrete. A principle that is absolute in our head. There are three realities given to us there in that one verse. Three things specifically said about what Cain was dealing with, but the reality that continues to be in place for each and every one of us today. Those three realities are this. Number one, the idea that sin lies at the door. It's an, an easy picture to conjure, right? It is an easy picture for us to conjure that sin or that Satan is standing right on the other side of the door and he's just knocking all the time, knocking all the time, knocking all the time, wanting you to let him in, wanting you to open the door. All the time he's there knocking. Each and every day, it seems at times, all day long, he's just knocking, just knocking. Reality number one, he was there for Cain and he is there today still. The second reality is he wants you. He's not interested in asking you a question He's not interested in you opening the door up and you just giving him a big hug and him walking away. He's not interested in, you know, it was a wrong house. His desire is for you. You get into the pages of the New Testament and Peter will make the point that his desire is to devour you. Desire is to destroy you. And so he's there at the door, reality number one, knocking. And reality number two, he wants you. He wants all of you, not just a piece of you. He wants all of you, and he wants to devour you. He wants to destroy you. But that brings us to reality number three. And for me, in a lot of ways, it is what we miss in this one verse. And I think ultimately we miss it because of the action that Cain takes. right? The action that he takes causes us to miss this third reality. Because Cain opens the door, he allows sin in. He kills his brother. He follows through with it. But there's one other reality given here in verse 7. Reality 1, sin is at the door. Reality 2, its desire is for you. But reality number 3, God gives us. You have the power to choose no. I mean, think about what's said right here. Yeah, sin is there. Its desire is for you. But what's he told? You should rule over it. You have the power to choose. You have the choice. You have the power within you to take sin, to not open the door, to push him away. Whatever it is, flee from the devil. You know, we have all of those ideas. And so I want us to understand those realities. And how important it was for Cain. Now listen, Cain failed for sure. He opened the door. He killed his brother. But let's not miss that third reality. I want you to understand that in the pages of the New Testament, in the passage that we have, and I've made reference to in Ephesians chapter 4, where we're going to spend the rest of our time this morning, there's kind of another verse that is very similar to that. Don't give place to the devil. In Ephesians chapter 4 verse 27, we're going to get to there here in just a moment, but in the context of not being angry, don't be angry and do not sin, uh, or be angry and do not sin, don't let the sun go down in your wrath, nor give place to the devil. What an interesting phrase that is. Don't give place to the devil. The picture that I have up here on the screen, don't give the devil a foothold. Don't open the door. The point being, I I have the choice whether to do that or not. I have that power. I alone have that choice. Sometimes we convince ourselves, it may be the culture that we live in, but, you know, sometimes we convince ourselves that it just isn't possible. It's just not possible to live godly. It's just not possible to do the right thing. It's just not possible to be that different. And we convince ourselves that those possibilities just aren't there. And I want us this morning to take this passage in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 27 and and expand that context to get the understanding that God is calling on us as, as Christians to be that different, to make that choice. That even though everyone else in the world may be heading in one direction, you can stand firm. You can be different, and you most certainly will be different. For us this morning, I feel like it can be a very strong reminder of exactly where we need to be as Christians. So let's start with an illustration. Normally, as is the case, as a lot of you that have been here for a long time know, if I've got a, a negative illustration to use, I like to use Tim Arden. I don't know why that is, but... That's usually, and he probably knew that was the case, and so he's literally went to the other side of the country is where he is. So he's not here. So I can't use Tim Marden this morning. Who will I use? Nate Hawk. You get, No, I've got all, I'm on the microphone. I have the microphone. I have all the power. And, and so... That's right, he's, he's going he's going like this, but he's, he's going to do it, I mean, he's going to do it. And so we're going to use Nate Hawk this morning, and he is going to represent the world for us, all right? He's going to do it up here next to me, yeah, up right up here next to me. You're not going to get a microphone, but you are going to, you know, definitely don't need your Bible, you're the world, you're the, you're the world. You don't need your Bible, you're the world this morning. All right, I want to paint a picture for you. We're going to use Nate as an illustration. Nate and I are very different, right? We look different. We do different things. We are different ages in every way. And so I want us to get to an understanding of the reality of how difficult it is to be different from the world today, all right? So let's talk about some realities about our culture. So I want you to come on this side of me, all right? All right, so I'm, Nate's going to represent the world. I'm going to represent the godly Christian. Okay, that's that's how it's going to go. All right, so we're going to put my Bible down here on the ground. All right, so I want us to understand that as a Christian, we have God's word, and we are to stand upon it. It is firm. It is sure. It is never changing. And as a Christian, my whole life has to be built upon standing upon God's word. All right, so Nate, he is the world. He's not standing on God's, wor- on God's word, and we are, in essence, different. We are in different places. We are doing different things, but he's relatively close to, uh, to me. So are we really that different? Maybe not that different. And I want us to understand that in our culture here, there was a time long ago where our culture was much closer to God's word than it is now but our culture has moved. I want you to think about just the reality of it. I mean, just the reality of our culture. I mean, think about things like sexual promiscuity or even sexual preferences, where at one time in our country and this culture was never talked about or was thought to be taboo or no one would ever consider even doing that are completely right today. The language that we use, words that no one would ever consider using 50, 60, 70 years ago that are commonplace today. The dress that we have were clothes that would have been solely and absolutely inappropriate culturally 50 years ago are completely acceptable today. And so our reality, where at one time, maybe culture was somewhat close to God's Word, and I, standing upon it, am different in some way, but our culture has moved. Our culture has, one more, our culture has shifted, right, far away. And here is the problem for the Christian is because our culture has moved so far away, we have followed it. We have followed it. And we, we'd like to be maybe in this arena here. Still different, right? Still different, but far away from something that is immovable. And the point that I want us to understand today, and the last thing we'll use Nate for, is for us in 2021, as a Christian, standing upon God's word, our differences from the world are drastically different. Because God's word hasn't shifted. God's word hasn't changed. God's word hasn't evolved And so the differences between the Christian now and the world is tremendous. That is uncomfortable for us. All right, Nate, you can sit down. Thank you. I mean, Tim never had to do that. I mean, right there. And so I want you, as we spend a few minutes in this context, to keep that illustration in your mind. And I want you to be thinking, how, how different am I really? How different? Am I really that much different? Or am I content just to be a little different? Because then we can we can pat ourselves on the back and say, well, I'm, I'm not the world. I'm not that. I'm not, you know, I'm still different. But yet God's word is way over there. Are right, three things we want to see from this context this morning. Paul does a great job, as he always does, certainly by inspiration of God, so we shouldn't be surprised, about giving us really some interesting things to think about in this context. And so he's going to give us a what to do. Ultimately, it's going to be a don't do, but it is this idea. He's going to give us an action, right? He's going to give us that action, and it is going to follow it up with how we do it. So here's what I want you to do. Again, this is not do, but you, you get the idea. And then he's going to give us the how, right? He's not going to leave us in a lurch. He's going to tell us, how do you do that? But then he's going to follow that up even with some examples, some, some practical application of it. And so I want to follow that line a little bit this morning. We're going to start with this idea of the directive. What is the directive in this context? This context where he says, don't give place to the devil. Don't let him in. Don't give him a foothold. Don't open the door. Don't give place to him. What is the context? What is the directive here? Well, the directive is given to us in Ephesians chapter 4, backing up a bit, verses 17 through 19. Let's read those together. I'm in Ephesians chapter 4, 17 through 19. He says this, This I say, therefore, in testify the Lord, that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the hardening of their heart, who, being past feeling, having given themselves over to licentiousness, to work all uncleanness with greediness. And so I want us to see here what is the directive. And the directive is do not walk like the other Gentiles walk. Don't do it. They walk a certain way. You, as Christians, you will walk a different way. He is saying, as a Christian, do not, under any circumstance, imitate those in the world. As Christians, we are simply to imitate Christ. That's it. Paul will make that point, imitate me as I imitate Christ. We are to imitate Christ. That is our mirror. That is our follow. He is the one that we look to. There is no circumstance, zero circumstances, where a Christian should be imitating the world. We're not called upon to imitate the world. We are called upon to imitate Christ. And so Paul says, do not walk like them. The word walk in the book of Ephesians especially is used over and over and over again. It's one of those really interesting words. I'll kind of put this into your mind. Don't let it go away, but you can shuffle it back a little bit. But when you're reading through the book of Ephesians, look for that word. It is there loads of times. And he says, don't walk this way. Don't walk like them. Don't live a life like them. Don't take a journey like them. Then he says, that is the case foundationally. Why? Because Christians think differently than them. They think different. You see, we think different. And because we think different, we're going to speak different. We think different, we are going to act different. We think different, we are going to go different places. Look at the language that's used. All pointing to the mind. In verse 17, specifically, they're walking how in the futility of their mind. Verse 23, be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Verse 18, having their understanding, still pointing to their thinking. Again, the flip side of that, the ignorance that they have. Again, pointing to their thinking. Verse 20, you've not learned Christ. Again, it is the thinking over and over and over again. It is the thinking. It is the vision. It is the priorities. It is the goals. It is what we value. It is our outlook. And so I want us to understand that the whole outlook of a person changes when they put on Christ. Uh, Their whole outlook changes in every capacity. His values are different. His goals are different. And then ultimately, his choices are different. I make this point over and over, and I've made it already this morning, and I'll make it again. As a Christian, we are thinking drastically different from those in the world. And I think sometimes we try our best to convince ourselves it's not that different. It's not that different. It's not that much impact, it's everything, it's every impact that there is, and so the point that Paul is making is that for the Christian, they simply cannot pattern their life after people of the world, the point he makes, their thinking is futile, it's empty, Uh, maybe a better way to put it is it, it has no purpose, that's not the case for the Christian. Our thinking is purposeful. Everything has purpose. Everything has purpose. It is what God has directed. It is to glorify Him in all that I do. In all that you do. In word and in deed. Paul will say to the brethren in Colossians Colossians chapter 3. Everything that I do as a Christian has purpose. It is to glorify God, to lift Him up. And so the directive that we have is this. You do not walk like others. Now, the directive is one thing, but how do you do that? So the how is also given to us. Look at what he says, beginning of verse 20 down to verse 24. Here's the directive. Don't walk. Don't walk as the Gentiles walk. You do this. Here's the how, verse 20. But you, but you have not so learned Christ if indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off concerning your former conduct, the old man, which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lust, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, that you put on the new man which was created according to God in righteousness and true holiness. There's a really interesting phrase at the beginning of this. You have not so learned Christ. What an interesting phrase that is. I want you to take note of how different that language is than the way we normally say something like this. You see, normally we're apt to throw the word about in there. Learning about someone. That's what we normally do, but that's not here. And so why is that? You see, I could pick up a book, right? I I could go to the library. I can pick up a book. See, I'm I'm never, ever going to disparage a library ever again. I've learned my lesson. So you go to the library, you get a book, and maybe it's a book about Abraham Lincoln, and I can read that book, and I can get another book about Abraham Lincoln, and I can learn about Abraham Lincoln can learn about him, but I can't learn him because he's dead. He's been dead a long time. I can learn about him, but I can't learn him. But what does Paul say? You learn Christ. That means you, you need to work on your relationship with him. Well, how's that? I can't work on my relationship with Abraham Lincoln. He's dead. He's, a, he's in the grave. But I can work on my relationship with Christ. I can get closer to Him each and every day. Why? Well, He's not dead. He is alive. And He is active. And He is in me as a Christian. And so Paul says, listen, you learn Christ. You get closer to him. You get near to him. And how do you do that? Well, the better I know the truth, the better I know Christ. So you have there verse 21, if indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus. One of the points I think that Paul is making in this passage is that those in the world, and he's used this word already, are spiritually ignorant, while the Christian is spiritually intelligent in the truth. And so he throws that then an illustration of putting off the old man and putting on the new, tearing him away, getting rid of him because you've been made alive in Christ. Uh, to me, and maybe for you as well, I read this passage, and Paul will use the same illustration in other places as well. This put off the old man, put on the new man. Colossians chapter 3 is another example of that same language. Uh, but, but maybe for you, as it was for me, the, the picture easy that is conjured up is in John chapter 11 with the raising of Lazarus. I mean, what an incredible picture that you have of this exact same thing. Much more in a physical way there in John chapter 11, right? Lazarus, Jesus' friend, he dies. Jesus knows it and he's preparing for it. And and Lazarus has been dead and he's been in the grave for days. And and Jesus is there and he's going to raise him from the dead. And the incredible scene that unfolds as they go to the grave. Lots of people are there. They go to the grave. They're asked to roll the stone away. You remember the story. Uh, they're, They're fearful of doing that because of the stench that may come out because it's been in there for a few days. Like, let's not do that. But Jesus says, roll it away. And he cries out to Lazarus, right? Raises him, one who was dead and made alive in Christ. Now, a very physical picture because Physically, Lazarus was dead and made physically alive by Christ. And he walks out of there. But You remember what Jesus says next? John chapter 11 and verse 44, what does he say next? He he walks out of there, a man who was dead, but now he's alive. But what's he wearing? Dead man's clothes. That's what he's wearing, right? He's wearing dead man's clothes. What does Jesus say? Loose him. Loose him and let him go. Doesn't need dead man's clothes anymore. Why? Because he's alive. And in that same exact way spiritually, that's what Paul is saying here in Ephesians chapter 4. We were dead in our sins, but in Christ we have been made alive. And Paul is saying, you're no longer dead. You're now alive in Christ. Take off those dead man's clothes. Take off those things. You don't need those clothes anymore. You're no longer dead. You're now alive. And so spiritually speaking, that's what Christ says to us. Loose him and let him go. So how do we do that? How do we do that? We renewed. We are renewed in the spirit of our mind. We often use the phrase physically, we are what we eat. We say that all the time. I don't really know what that means. But we say it, right? We are what we eat. I mean, to a point, I understand that. But spiritually, what I do understand is we are what we think. What I put into my mind ultimately is who I am. I can fool people for a little while. Ultimately, I certainly can never fool God, but I can fool people for a little while. But really, if I continue to just fill my mind with the world, I'm not going to fool people very long either. We are what we think. And so he says, listen, you, you, you don't walk like the Gentiles walk. You think differently. You renew the spirit of your mind. Because you are different. And then the rest of this context, he'll give us some examples. We're going to go through them very quickly. And I'm going to make a point about all of them together, if you will. All right, Ephesians chapter 4, 25 through 32. Here is the directive. Don't walk as the Gentiles walk. How how do you not do that? That understanding that we've put off the old man, we've now put on the new. We're renewing the spirit of our mind. We're thinking differently. Now, what does that look like? How does that play out? Well, here's some examples of that. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 25, beginning. Therefore, put away lying. Each one speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. Let him who stole, steal no longer, but rather let him labor, working with his hands what is good, that he may have something to give him who has need. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God in Christ also forgave you. So as we draw this context to a close, I want to point out just a couple of things about this list, again, of things that... Paul gives to us. And the first is just the reality that, listen, God isn't just about explaining principles. He'll also provide applications of that principle. Here's how that plays out. And that's exactly what he does here. And he gives us these five things. These are things we're going to put off, that because you've you've taken off the old man's clothes, Here are things like, it includes lying and anger and stealing and corrupt speech and and bitterness. We understand what lying is, a a statement contrary to the facts, an intent to deceive, anger, an emotion that must be controlled. If not, it's sinful. Stealing. Taking from others instead of working for yourself a point that is made. But I want you to see that in these first three, you get interesting whys. Like, for instance, we are to tell the truth because we are members of one another. We've got to control our anger lest we give place to the devil. We work and not steal so that we can give to those who have need. You see, you have these wise. Even our speech that's made reference to with corrupt speech and even bitterness. You have the flip side of the kindness that we have. You know, corrupt speech here in verse 29, let no corrupt speech or corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. I think in a lot of ways for us, one of the, uh, the the most profound passages that we have for us to think about the words that we use, just for the meaning of that word corrupt. That word corrupt means worthless or rotten. And the Greek would most most be used to reference fruit that's gone bad, rotten fruit. And the point that I like to make here with this, and why I like this passage about corrupt communication is that our words don't have to be dirty to be worthless or rotten. They don't have to be curse words to be rotten words. You know, it's easy for us, especially in our culture, to make a list and to say, you know, here are words that the Christian can't say. Those are dirty words. And those those are words that we shouldn't be saying. It's because they're worthless. They're rotten. But the remedy for that is to make sure our heart is full of blessing, right? Our heart is full of blessing. Bitterness is made mention of. It is something that poisons the whole of man. But at the very end of this passage, as we close, I want really for you to think about how he closes this idea. On The why. Why do we live this way? Why do we make those choices? Why am I willing? I won't make Nate come back up here, but why am I willing today as a Christian to live a life so drastically different from the world? Listen, when we are that different, standing upon God's word, people are going to notice that. People are going to notice it. People are going to talk about it. People are going to make comments about it. People are going to laugh about it. They're going to ridicule you about it. They're going to make fun of you about it. Because for us, the Christian is drastically different from that of those in the world. And that doesn't feel great. I'm not going to stand up here and say that, that's fantastic. I, I revel in that. I love it. I love all of it. I love all the ridicule. I love it. I love it all. Bring all the bad stuff. No, I don't. Nobody likes that. But that's the reality we have. You stand upon God's word, you're going to walk differently. You're going to be different. But what a powerful ending to this passage. Don't grieve God. An interesting word. Don't grieve him. Don't sadden him. Don't grieve all of God has made mention of. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit who lives within us. Don't grieve Christ who gave his life for us. Don't grieve the Father who has forgiven us. All of that made mention of here. We think about the life that we live, the direction that God has given all of us. Why do we do that? Why do we live that way? Well, because we love God. We want to be close to him. Ultimately, we want to live in eternity with him. And he says, I just want you to imitate me. Be holy as I am. We can stand up here and say, you know what God, but that's going to be hard. That's going to be tough. What does God say? I'm going to be right there with you. I'm going to be right there with you. That's going to be hard. That's going to be tough. Well, look, I've given you a church family. who's going to be doing it right there with you. It's going to be hard. That's going to be tough. But it's going to be worth it. And so I want us to consider this morning one question that I want you to meditate upon as our week goes on. How different am I from the world? How different? How different are my actions? How different is my speech? Do I even look different? Do I act different? Do I go to different places? Am I reacting to life in a different way? How different am I really? It is a most difficult question. That's why I ask you to meditate upon it this week. It's going to take a little bit of time, a little bit of thought, a little bit of reflection, but an answer we have to come to to make sure if it is I'm really not all that different and we are able in an honest way to look back and see God's words way over here, and the reality, I'm really not standing on that anymore. We've got to be able to get ourselves to a place like that, that honest reflection. And so to take a little time this week, and I encourage you to put that time in, to reflect on your life, on your decisions, on your choices, because ultimately where we started in Genesis chapter 4 and verse 7, All of us can make the choice that sin will not rule over me. All of us can make the choice to give no place to the devil in my life. I pray and I challenge you to make that choice. Well, Brad's going to lead us in a song of invitation, and it gives us an opportunity to think now More specifically, be our our relationship with God. And maybe it is your relationship with God isn't where it needs to be. Sin, which separates you from God, needs to be taken care of. Man's greatest problem. And maybe you know what it takes to take care of that problem. Washing that sin away in the waters of baptism. Putting Christ on in baptism. And that's where you are today. Let's take care of that today. Or maybe there's something else we can help you with. If that's the case, you let us know as we stand and sing.